Hey everyone, welcome to Take a Second, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast meant to strengthen our personal connections with Jesus Christ, as well as deepen our appreciation for His role in our Heavenly Father's universal plan of salvation. I'm Brian Ricks, and Stuart Black is here with me. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into uh, let's get into this week's scripture block. Hey everybody, welcome back to Take a Second. I'm Brother Ricks, and uh, and we're going to be doing John chapter one today. Awesome. I'm Brother Black, and we're excited to be with you. This is our first week in John, so John chapter one. Um, and uh, one of the things to, to note, we, we made a couple of remarks about this with regarding Luke and with Matthew, so we also haven't done anything with Mark yet. Uh, but but John is written, uh, he's unique. So you have the synoptic gospels, mm-hmm. right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, overlapping in their stories and a lot of overlapping in the, in the uh, specific principles that are being taught with those. And John is roughly 92% unique. Mm-hmm. So out of out of all of them, a lot of people, they're like, oh, I like John. It's like a whole new thing yeah, after reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And yeah. so, so John's unique in that way. And uh, he's, he's also, he's writing to the saints. He's writing to believers. And uh, uh, I might not even be saying it right, but docetism, this idea that um, Jesus, and, and so there's a, a bunch of people years after Jesus was resurrected, um, a lot of Christians were starting to teach that Jesus didn't have a body. He was just a phantasm, or he's just this belief that he was just a spirit. And so John is going to share a lot of stories about the physical body of Jesus and about uh, his physical nature and touching people and, and uh, having interactions with them to show that, no, Jesus and his resurrection were both physical, literal things. So that's that's something to look for throughout the Gospel of John, yeah. and that's one of the things that he's emphasizing. Yeah, one I so I love John is my favorite, and for a lot of the reasons that you just mentioned, I like the fact that it's unique, that it's different. Um, John is not meant to be historical, so you're not going to get a lot of the day-to-day stuff that you'll sometimes get, the journeyings to and from. Uh, we're going to jump from location to location to location with John. Uh, and a lot of that is because he's not he's not trying, like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, to give the history or the, the, the biography of Jesus. His effort is to simply declare to the, to the church, this, this is like a fast and testimony meeting. I... I I'm bearing my testimony of Jesus Christ and, and the things he did, his works. And and so you're going to see that, especially for the first 13 chapters or so, you're going to have a lot of the miracles. This is the this is the signs. Uh, some people break them up into two and that into two parts. And that first part is is the signs section. Uh, as far as archaeologically or historically, it's the book of Matthew and the book of John actually has the most surviving uh, records, original records of the four Gospels, and there there can be a lot of different reasons for that. Um, the one that I kind of, I think the the simplest answer is usually the right one, and I think the, the most simple reason for this is probably just the fact that Matthew and John being the, the ones that were the most readily available. Those are the ones that were circulating by uh, around early Christianity, you know, in, in the, the first and second centuries before they compile them and, and get them all into one book. So I, I like to think as I'm reading through John that this is for a, for a Christian joining, the, for a non-Christian joining the church in 150, 165, this is this is probably one of the accounts of Jesus they're reading. This, these pages are some of where people are gaining their testimony of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and it and it starts off really in chapter one. That right from the beginning, John says, "Look, this this was this Jesus was God made flesh." Yeah, and and with that, that's kind of an interesting 
part of John's introduction that you have, uh, we talked about the birth stories, and so it, you really started with Mary and with Joseph and um, with shepherds, and even before, you know, Jesus has said or done anything, but John's like, no, I'm, I'm starting with Jesus. Yes. And, and so here in, in one, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and it's capitalized, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him uh, was not anything made that was made. Uh, it's for some people it just makes it really simple substitute Christ for word mm-hmm. and you're like oh that's exactly what it was I I, uh, I I think it's kind of fun at the beginning of uh, if you're teaching this or talking about this with your family to talk about what are some of your favorite titles of Christ yep. and, and to do that in a bunch of these weeks and and the New Testament mentions a few different ones like word uh, redeemer savior son of David things like that um, but to, to ask, like, what are some of your favorites? And then even start here and, and say, why would John say that Jesus is the word? What, is, what does that mean? What, like, what connection does that, does that? And I, I love it that he's the final word. He's the first word. He is, uh, um, he's all wisdom personified. He, he's God's way of communicating with us. I think there's a bunch of, of unique and neat ways to look at this idea of like, why is Jesus the word? Well, that's how I connect myself to Heavenly Father yeah. is through his word, which is Jesus. Yeah. So I, as a young missionary, brand new in the mission field, uh, Stan Bramwell was my mission president. And he, I remember him in one of the early uh, interviews that we had with him. So I, I think most missions, you know, you zone conference one month and the next month president goes around and does interviews. And, and in one of the really early interviews, he gave me the first part of John 1 to study and said, I want you to study this and I want you in two months when you and I meet again, I want you to tell me why is Jesus referred to as the word? And at the time, I remember like as this 19-year-old missionary wanting to impress mission president so bad. Like I wanted to impress, I want to show President Bramwell that I knew Look the how scriptures. how smart I am. <laughs> the problem was is I wasn't. <laughs> I, I didn't grow up super active in the church. And this wasn't, you know, scripture study wasn't a part of my kind of my, my growing up. And so I went to this and I remember being like, I have no idea why Jesus is the word. Uh, and it was really interesting as he kind of walked me through some of the reasons why he thought Jesus was referred to as the Word. And then as we talked to other missionaries going through, President Bramwell didn't have one reason. There were lots of reasons. And I and now looking back on it 20-some-odd years later, it makes me wonder if, if President Bramwell was just, it was just his way of getting us to, to read yeah. and to study the Scriptures and to say, you know, look, I don't really care what answer you come up with. I mean, obviously it needs to be in the ballpark, <laughs> but I want you to, I want you to, I want you to wrestle with this yeah. and you come to me with it. And, and, and looking back, I, I see, I recognize him doing that over and over and over again, but John chapter one has kind of this, for me, a cool connection back to my mission president. Yeah. Uh, I remember the thing he taught me was what you mentioned there at the end, that, that Jesus is the word of the father. That when God spoke something in the heavens, Jesus carried that word out in its totality here. So, so everything Jesus did was according to the word of God yeah. that he had received from God. And I like that as far as uh, that, that manifestation. Later on, Jesus is going to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yeah. And part of that's because and that's here in I'm John, word. John, yeah, yeah, John 14 with Philip. Yep. I just just building on that, I, I couldn't help but think, what a great way for your mission president to help you testify of, of Christ. Mm-hmm. How is Christ like the word for you? And and I, I was just thinking of some of the other titles that John mentions in in here in chapter one. In verse seven, 
light. Light. So you have the word, now you have light, and then later on John the Baptist, in, starting in 29, he says it twice, he says it in 29 and in 36, he says, that's the Lamb of God. Mm-hmm. And and what a great now opportunity with your family or, or in your personal study, make like a three-column list and say, how has Jesus been like the word for me lately? How has he been like light lately? How has he been the Lamb of God for me lately? Or which one of those do I feel a greater connection to lately? Or when has there been a time in my life that I can say that Jesus was my lamb or that he was my light or that he was my word? And, and all of a sudden, it's a, it's a very easy way for somebody to connect a personal previous experience to a testimony and to say, I, I don't know if there's a right or wrong. He's, he's my light different than he's yours, but he's still the light mm-hmm. and he's still the word and he's still the lamb. Yeah. And, and so as you take those opportunities, what a great way that John is uh, through this study of allowing us to testify of the Savior. So I do have one question for you. Yes. So, and I've, I've spent some time thinking about this and I've come up with some reasons. They're probably both wrong. <laughs> um, so throughout the book of John, John never refers to himself in the first person. He yeah. never names himself. Yeah. He's always the disciple that he loved. Or he's yeah. The, yeah, it, and there's some some people think that's snooty, by the way. We're gonna have some fun with this later on. I'm fa- I, I think it's hilarious that later on at the tomb, John points out that he was faster than Peter. Peter. I was faster than Peter. <laughs> he's also younger. Without saying, yeah. yeah, without saying, hey, it was me. <laughs> I, maybe it's just a way. That's one of the first thoughts. It's a way to toot my own horn without looking arrogant. <laughs> I don't think that's what no, it was. But yeah. The thought crossed my mind. Why do you think John doesn't name himself? Why does he stay third person and stay anonymous throughout this account? One that I heard and I I personally don't hold to is that some people say that the disciple whom Jesus loved actually wasn't John. It was Mm -hmm. maybe Lazarus or somebody like that, another disciple. And so I I was like, nah, that one doesn't really ring for me. It might be true. Like I said, I don't really believe that. Um, I think one of it is John is, is saying like, I know that Jesus loves me. And sometimes we think like, well, does that mean he doesn't love everybody else? No, John just felt loved by Jesus and he wanted to show that Jesus loves me. And so I wanna say that again and again and again. I don't care what my name is. I know Jesus loves me. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I read that kind of that way that Jesus loved Peter too. And he loved Matthew and he, and he loved uh, you know Judas and he loved all of them. But that same, that same idea is John wanted us to understand that Jesus loved him and through that all of us but also what a great way to plug us into the gospel that there's a way for you to be like I could have been there yeah I could have been there because I know that Jesus loves me those are just a couple of my simple thoughts with that How so about you? I kind of my my serious thought about it kind of floats towards this idea of John leaving and, and whether he did it intentionally or not whether he understood what it was going to allow for us but I think it does leave the door open for for us to insert ourselves in there um, I could have been the one at the at the tomb, or I could have been the one uh, leaning next to Jesus during the, during that supper. And and as I read the scriptures, I ought to be. In fact, we've got a in our ward one of the gospel doctrine teachers. Uh, I've just noticed as he's taught now several weeks, uh, he has this he has this practice that he does in the scriptures that he regularly inserts his name. Hmm. And, and puts his name through there. Well, throughout the book of John, that, that becomes a little bit, it becomes a little bit simpler to do that because John leaves it wide open for us to do it. I, so maybe that's not the actual reason that John did it, but it is something that because of his writing style, that door is open for us to do it. You know, So again, whether it was intentional or just a, a byproduct of his particular writing style, I think we'll, we would we'd be a myth. We, we'd run a miss. We'd run a muck. We'd run, 
afar. Uh, we would shift off course. <laughs> we would mess up. <laughs> um, if we didn't take advantage of that, especially in the in the book of John. And so as I'm teaching, you know, sharing that teaching strategy that I see over and over again on Sundays in my ward, I would do that. I would do that with uh, students. I, I used to do that as a seminary teacher back when I was good at teaching. I would tell my students, look, write your name in there. Like, take a pen and write it in your, write it above there. And, and I think as, as you're going throughout this, uh, throughout this, I say a semester because that's what I'm used to, but throughout this year, uh, practice that with your kids or with your Sunday school class or with your, you know, your little YSA uh, group that you get together with on Sundays. Practice throwing your name in these places where John's left it open. Yeah, I love that. I, I, I think just kind of moving, moving along then mm-hmm. is, uh, is this, that we talked uh, last, last time, maybe a couple times ago about Jesus is the original three disciples, right? Mm-hmm. When we, we kind of mentioned that it was Mary and uh, John the Baptist and, and, and Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Uh, this, this chapter is really Jesus beginning uh, more of a mortal ministry and, and gathering other disciples mm-hmm. in other ways. Uh, and, and I just think uh, just verse 11 is so unique that he came unto his own and his own received him not. And and the fact that Jesus gives everybody chances and still that people don't take it. I, I think there's sometimes that we're shocked or disappointed or sad that like, well, I tried to share the gospel and I tried to be a good example and I tried to give away scriptures to somebody else or whatever it is and it, it didn't work and just know you're in good company. Yeah. That, that Jesus came to his people, the, the Jews, Jesus is Jewish, and not everybody accepted him, mm-hmm. yet, yet some do. And, and so don't be discouraged with any of that. And, and I, for me, as he's gathering disciples, that may be a, a, a unique question to ask. Why? What gets in the way of my discipleship? And, and I don't know if, if we'll hit on this later on, but I, I love this idea. In, in 23, it's, it's, you're shifting to John the Baptist here. But, but John says, uh, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah, and he's quoting Isaiah 40. And in uh, earlier in, uh, in Luke, Luke digs into this a little bit more. He also says, as is written by the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, again, it's preaching about John, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So this is John's job. John's job is to make the way to the Lord straight, not to be in the way, not to stand there, but to make the path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough way shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John's job is to make sure that the path to Jesus becomes straight and nothing gets in the way. If there's a valley, he fills it. If there's a mountain, he tears it down. He straightens out the path. He gets the stones out of the way. He makes sure that people can find Jesus. That is his number one thing. And I love this idea then that what might get in the way for me? What do I need to remove? What what mountains do I need to tear down? What valleys do I need to fill up in my life personally with my relationships with other, with other people? What is getting in the way for me seeing the Savior? Because I don't want verse 11 to happen, that he came to me and I didn't receive him. Yeah. And, and I think John does such a great job of pointing and straightening out that path, and we see that through the rest of the chapter. Yep. I, you see that it, that idea interest, introduced in, as far as early as 7, where he says, The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. Uh, or Sorry, no, it's verse 5. The light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Um, that it, it's... 
It's not because nobody will ever have the ability to say, I didn't accept Jesus because I didn't have the chance. And then, and then you see this mission that's given to John that's prophesied of before he's even born, um, hundreds of years before he's born. And you see in John the Baptist, you see the definition of what a prophet does. That is, you know, Jesus refers to him as the great prophet. And, and that's what President Nelson does today. It's what I, one of my favorite quotes about prophets is Elder Anderson when he said, prophets don't stand between you and Christ, they stand next to you and point the way. Well, part of the things they're pointing out are those things that are going to get in the way of your relationship with Christ. Yeah. And so as Elder Holland stands, uh, I, I found it fascinating at the worldwide broadcast on Sunday, Elder Holland says, you know, he, they give this great talk, he and his wife, just this awesome discourse on hope. And then he ends by saying, now, we intentionally avoided talking about repentance, but I, I have to. In fact, I think he said something to the effect of we would be irresponsible to not do that which we've been called to do. That's what prophets do, is they call us to repentance. And it, it, it's not always about the things we've done. Sometimes it's about what the things that we're doing will lead to. They'll lead to valleys or mountains or 90-degree turns that are going to take us away from the Savior. And so I, I love Elder Anderson's idea of, look... The, the role of a prophet is to stand next to you and help you not only see Christ, but find the safest path to him. Yeah, I love that. And, and just just digging into some of John's first words um, in, in 29. Uh, so John has been prophesying. He says, I, I'm baptizing with water, but somebody's going to come after me who's going to baptize with the spirit. I'm not even worthy to take off his shoes. And, and it's such a unique thing that he reveres Jesus so much. And at the same time, Jesus loves John so much. Mm-hmm. That, that that he says there's none greater. He says John is John is as good as it gets in terms of, of prophets. And uh, in 29, the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Uh, I, I, we made the connection earlier that John is really the last of the Old Testament prophets and the first of the new. And so you can see then why he would make this connection of Lamb of God. Mm-hmm. Well, his dad was a priest, so John is also a priest. So what do you think he cares about lambs for? Well, he's making a connection for him and the law of Moses and sacrifice saying, that's him. Yes, I know that lambs, we've done this for thousands of years, but this is the lamb, not a lamb. And you need to go follow him. And when he does this, he's walking in 35 and he sees the two disciples and he says it again. He says, behold, the lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him and speak and they followed Jesus. They left him. And I'll tell you this right now. John was not mad. Mm Mm-hmm. John never gets upset. There is no pride. He is as good of a friend as you will ever have and the, as good of a prophet as you have that he always points people to Jesus. And I love that idea of John's a priest, lambs, pointing people to Christ. He sees it as a priest where a bunch of the other priests at the time don't see it. Miss it, yeah. And those that are learned and should. Uh, I, when those two disciples get to Jesus, continuing on in the story, um, Elder Anderson points out that Jesus leaves the... He leaves the perfect model for how to proselyte. If, if, for those of us that aren't full-time missionaries, this is the model for, for proselyting and sharing the gospel. Uh, in, in the beginning, uh, when they get there, they come, to the, they come to Jesus, and Jesus turns around and says, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? In other words, where do you live? What do you do? Verse 39, he saith unto them, Come and see. 
they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So tenth hour, three o'clock at night, yeah, four. four. Yeah, so four four o'clock in the afternoon and they're, and they're gonna just hang out with him and, and see. And Elder Anderson said, That's the model. You wanna introduce people to the gospel? Invite them into your life. Let them see. And he in fact Elder Anderson said, Jesus isn't just saying come and look. He's like not just come and look at my house or come and look at my lawn or come and look at it, you know, anything else, but come and see how I live and, and see if the way I live isn't appealing to you. And as members of the church in the 21st century, that to me is the way we teach, the, the, the best way to, to teach the gospel and to share the gospel is to live in such a way that people who know us look at us and say, I, what is it about you? How is it that you can, in a, in a world of chaos, and it's becoming more chaotic, how is it that you can be so optimistic? Yeah. The gospel ought to bring us optimism. Verse 43, the next day he goes into Galilee and he finds Philip and, and he says to Philip, follow me, hang out with me, come walk with me. Verse, 16, verse 46 then, Nathaniel comes to him and says, you know, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, and this is, I love it because Philip's following the example. Philip's like, come and see. I don't have to, I don't have to tell you anything. Yeah. Come and watch Jesus, and that's all you need. I don't have to have fancy words. I don't have to have any kind, any kind of a convincing argument. You just need to come and see for yourself. And, it's, and that is how these early disciples are, are turned to the Savior. That's how they become convinced that he's the Messiah, or how the, that, that testimony starts to grow in them is by watching him. Yeah, and, and that... Yeah, and uh, the, one of those disciples who first leaves John the Baptist goes to find Jesus. Uh, it's Andrew. It's Simon Peter's brother. And in 41, it says he first findeth his own brother Simon and says, "I found him." Mm-hmm. And then he brings him to Jesus. That he doesn't just expect, well, hang out here and maybe Jesus will come find you. He's saying, "Let's go find him. Mm-hmm. You and I can go can go in there and make sure that we're making this connection." together and I love that he starts with the people that he loves mm-hmm. it, it shouldn't be weird or awkward or anything as, as a missionary I thought like man you clipped on that name tag and it was like you talk to strangers and uh-huh. bus stops and subways and knock on their doors and it was like you're Superman because you're like I'll never see you again uh-huh. no like, fear I may bump into you at a store in, sometime in the next two years but I'm, I'm not going to see you again after that I'm leaving this country and this idea then that you're like, okay, go talk to your brother about the gospel. Go talk to your parents. Go talk to your next door neighbor. Go talk to people who are close to you. That can sometimes be intimidating. Yeah. And, and yet, I love that there, the invitation is, it's Jesus. It's not me. I'm not proving anything of myself. It's, I, I just want you to find the Savior. I have found the Messiah. I, uh, one of my favorite things to do is fish, and, and I, I like to take my kids fishing sometimes. I, I, I would love to take them more often, but there's a lot of untangling of lines and tying there's, on hooks. There's sometimes and, I want to fish. Yes, I don't like to just tie stuff on. Mm-hmm. I like to fish. Yep. And my, my son, Brian, loves to throw rocks. And it is so relatable because I don't know any little kid or, frankly, any boy who doesn't love to just throw a big old rock into water and just watch it just all the ripples go out. And so we got to, like, 
okay, here's the list of stuff. Okay, don't wander off. If you see a bear, you know, here, here, here's all these things. But then one of the big ones constantly is, be quiet, don't throw rocks. Be quiet, don't throw rocks. Be quiet, don't throw rocks. And we get to a new hole, and first thing, he's like, all right, where's a rock? <laughs> it's like his first thought is, I need rocks. And he, I, I always go tell him, go fish with my with, with grandpa. Go find grandpa. <laughs> go fish with him. Go throw rocks by him. And uh, this idea in this story is, this is all ripples. That John is this first rock. He, he's six months older than Jesus, and so if a person started a, a personal ministry at 30 years old, which a lot of people say that's the case, then John would have started his personal ministry before Jesus mm -hmm. did, six months before. And John is out there just throwing rocks, and he's letting the ripples start to go. So his first ripple is to Andrew. Andrew then spreads it to Simon. Simon, And then you see like, Oh, it's going on both sides because now on this other side, now you have Philip who's going to find Nathaniel. And this this is the idea of a ripple effect of sharing the gospel. That's what it is. And, and each of us has been blessed by somebody else who shared the gospel with us. And what an opportunity now to reach out to them and thank them or to then just say, well, I'm just going to be this first ripple. And I'm going to start throwing a testimony out there and seeing what's going to spread and share. And the really, I, I mean... This podcast or video, however you're, however you're watching it, this is, this is evidence of that. This is, I mean, I guess it, not just evidence, but it also speaks to the power that we have to do good in the world. Like, I, we're just a couple, you know, we just a year, not quite what, eight months ago, said, hey, let's try this. Let's give it a whirl. Um, and the fact that anybody can do it. Uh, there's, there's an, a number of come follow me podcasts and. Uh, and if it's not a podcast, it's an Instagram page. And it's if it's not an Instagram page, it's a Facebook page. If it's not that, it, it's just somebody who, on their own personal page, chooses to fill, you know, to send those ripples out. Love that. Any final thoughts here for you, for John? Um, I, I think you, you, I love the the idea of Nathaniel coming to him and and uh, the Savior's little insight. He, he says to him. Uh, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. And he shares something that suggests to Nathaniel, you know me, and, and so, do I, have we met before? Have we? And then Jesus says to him, uh, before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. And then all of a sudden, verse 49, Nathaniel's like, oh, you are, you are the king of Israel. You are the Messiah. You're the lamb of God, just like John said. Uh, and then there's this really interesting, verse 50, Jesus answered and said, because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? In other words, is that really all it took? You're going to see, and he says, thou shalt see greater things than these. And there's just this idea, This, I think the end of this chapter, John makes this promise to say, it's not just Nathaniel that he was watching under a fig tree. For each of us, and, and I don't know what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree, I don't know if he was sitting there pondering the eternities or if he was under there just wrestling with his own yeah taking a snoozer wrestling with his own financial quandaries how do i get how do i make the mortgages how do i take care of the taxes whatever he was wrestling with or not wrestling with and john says look it's not just nathaniel that jesus knows his way just like it's not just me that he loves this is we can enter any one of our names into there and then, and I think as we look at our own experiences and those, those experiences that we've had that have led to the testimonies we have right now, there's that great line from President, Mons or from President Nelson's first conference talk as prophet, I guess first conference as prophet, Sunday morning, revelation for the church, revelation for ourselves. In our lives. In our lives, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he says, look, some of the greatest miracles that Jesus is going to do are in front of us. 
they're not they're not behind us mm -hmm. and i believe that's both collectively as a church and individually as well i think those those miracles are sitting in front of us love that i i just want to build on that for for one final thought for myself that um when nathaniel says can any good thing come out of nazareth Nazareth's small it's his little farming community and he's kind of saying uh, that's the place really and yes jesus was raised there but that's not where he's born he's from bethlehem and he, so nathaniel doesn't have the full story and yet on the flip side of that jesus does when he says so i under the fig tree he's like how oh, you knew that i would and in 42 he says your name's simon but i'm gonna call you cephas or peter i'm gonna call you a stone this is the first time he's met him and he says you're gonna be a rock in my kingdom that we don't know everything that jesus is doing or has done in our lives until much later when we're going to make a bunch of connections like, oh, you know me. And on the flip side, Jesus knows all about the us when we don't recognize everything about him and he still wants us. He's still gathering us and inviting us to be with, with him to come and see and to follow him. And those are great invitations from the Savior. Yeah, I love that. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, we will uh, we all hope there's something in here that'll uh, not only benefit your own study, but also if you're if you're in a spot of teaching this uh, this week, maybe that'll uh, benefit you and your students as you open these uh, these verses up. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you in the next uh, episode. Have a great week. Well, thanks again for joining us on Take a Second for Come Follow Me. Brother Black and myself want to emphasize that. In this episode or any other episode, there's nothing that we've said that is meant to or can in any way be interpreted as the official doctrine or policy or practice of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, Brother Black and myself simply represent two guys that enjoy talking about Scripture and, and in our own life experiences as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and hope that in sharing some of our thoughts and, and insights, but certainly our personal opinions and nothing more, that uh, maybe it might open up the scriptures a little bit to you. So thanks again for joining us on Take a Second, and we will see you in our next episode. <laughs>